Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in. Most of you probably don't know, we have a newsletter that just came out now on Neon. It's uh, documenting what the new and latest news is in article form, as well as links to things like top picks, uh, content, as well as Neon Bay, which is new and exciting items for sale online that we highlight. I hope you can subscribe, link in our bio on our IG page, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton, Transform and roll out. Hey, Mondo listeners, it's Max here, and I'm with James and Carla Murray, guys. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you oh, so much. Appreciate it. Uh, so, James and Carla, for anyone who don't know who's just first time listeners here, um, we're with some amazing New Yorkers, photographers, and award winning authors. Um, they've hosted workshops, they've done some incredible books. Uh, you know, the, just the, the awareness, the public awareness around storefronts is really, uh, really hangs on these two individuals because they've really given a lot of time. And, and if you talk about local businesses, anybody listening now is just like, you know, go out there and support your local neon shop. Well, these are two people who are really, um, have, have a really, uh, strong read into New York culture. I'm really excited to have you guys on. Uh, you know, where are, you know, I guess my first question is for anyone that doesn't know your work, uh, creating photos, visiting the neighborhoods that you guys go to, uh, which you have a strong social media, uh, presence, uh, for anybody that doesn't know YouTube and Instagram, what is the connectivity, you know, connectedness to what you guys love to do? Is it a, a personal issue? Was it like, okay, we just got to get out there and start talking about this stuff because it's going away. Where, where were the kind of pictures kind of happening and you know, take us back into time? Well, it will take you back way back into the um, like late 80s, early 1990s. We were documenting graffiti art around New York City, um, all the five boroughs and graffiti being a letter-based style. We are always like looking at storefronts and neon signage and hand-painted signs because we were like looking to see like how the whoever made the sign like manipulated the letters and like what we could use it for you know get inspiration so we were always very aware of of these stores and really we lived in the east village now for like in the same apartment for like over 25 years so we've seen a lot of changes i mean there's been a lot of gentrification in our own neighborhood but i can tell you that it really wasn't our own neighborhood that prompted us to start documenting the storefronts and, and the neon and everything like that. It was really going into the outer boroughs like Bronx and, and Brooklyn and Queens, yeah, Bronx, especially. Um, especially the Bronx, because that's where a lot of graffiti art was being done at the time that we were documenting. And this is all like, this is going so back. It's all 35 millimeter film that we were using. We were using a 35 millimeter camera. This is before digital even existed. And we were just collecting all this graffiti art photos like really more the graffiti like when you think of graffiti to us there's two sides of it there's like the vandalism side and then there's the art side so for us it was always about the art side like how they took the their name their tag and then manipulated the letters and like the style of the letters yeah to impart motion and what they lost when the uh, artwork was pushed off the trains right subway trains because that was 1989 1989 is the last time that a subway train ran in new york city like with the outside painted like right. after I have, that, I, have, I have to jump in here because i'm a huge fan of graffiti people don't know that i don't talk about on the show very much but style wars you guys were aware of that right 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we know those guys. I mean, like we're really good. <laughs> 1983, I just had to bring it up because it's, it's actually one of the things I watched when I wasn't in New York at the time. This is, you know, obviously pre my arrival, but you guys were really there. What was it like? Were you, were you, how affected were you by that generation of artists? And, and were you just like, we got to get out there and capture stuff because we know it's going to be around later? How was it for you guys? Graffiti to us is always a temporary art form. It's like, it's there today and it can be gone an hour later, really. Yeah. It could be that quick. So uh, a lot of the graffiti artists like, that we met, like once we started photographing it, they were gone around because like, it's a, it's a small world. It's a small world. It's a, it's a large community, but everybody knows each other. I mean, they may not like each other, but they all knew one another. Right. So when they found out, they're like, oh, here's this couple going around. And I mean, we used to do like, we put ourselves, I mean, I guess you could say in danger. I mean, we were, we were on the subway tracks. We were, we were, you know, walking in, I guess, dangerous yeah. areas. Yeah, <laughs> Searching it out because it, will, it wasn't too much. It wasn't like today where there was a lot of permission spots where, you know, building owners would actually give you permission to paint it. It was frowned upon and, and um, you know, you really had to search it out. So we would like walk for miles yeah. and we would graph it. And then word got out that we were photographing people's graffiti right. and they, a lot of them didn't have photos of their own work. Right. So right. We, would, we would shoot 35 millimeter uh, film and, and we'd tape you know, because the walls are long, we would tape all the individual photos together to make it look like seamless because there was no Photoshop back then. <laughs> so we were walking around with these presentation books like yeah, on the like track. The, like the old uh, toy um, portfolios, you know. Um, with these with these uh, long strips of photos taped in it, and they all loved it. Yeah, so we used and to like, like... these guys are nuts. Yeah. Like back in the day, like you would, you would bench, you would sit on the bench, and you would wait on the subway platform for a train to go by. To so your, right. we would like, they would bring their black books and we would bring these big portfolios of the pictures and they'd be like, oh, that was awesome. And so we would talk to them and then right. we kind of always wanted to know like, oh, hey, what made you, you know, pick the name or the tag right. that you did? What, what, what was the inspiration? They, I'm just curious, like, did they look at you as outsiders? Because there's something intricate about, you know, they call like a, a, a their book, right? It's so interesting, like, because you guys had kind of been photographing it, was this sort of new to them at the same time too? Like, because it's kind of strange. Like, they run in tight circles. Like, you know, how did you gain their trust? Like, for anybody that wants to listen to this, like, what was that like? Like, did you go up to them and say, "Guys, we're really serious. We love this stuff." Did they catch on to that? It was because we we didn't. We went really, to all the crazy. We spots. went to all the crazy spots that like you would you would be crazy to go to. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, the story. They would, graffiti artists would tell us they would paint with a bat in one hand and a spray can in the other. Like these were. I mean, we always had a dog with us. We've, we've had, we've rescued pit bulls forever. And we always would have our pit with us um, because that was like our deterrent for like not getting robbed. So, mm -hmm. you know, our, our gear. That was insurance. That's insurance. That was, that was right. our insurance. <laughs> bring the dog on there. So I guess we got a lot of kudos Those for, tracks with the third rail. you know, tracks with the third rail you, you know the we would bring a dog. spray tracks you can you can bring um the dog on but not not the subway tracks because that right. you know you know that would be that would be crazy so yeah so i we guess were traveling we, all over the city doing that right and we started to notice that a lot of these typography manipulations could be seen somewhat in the old 
neon signs and store signage in these kind of far-flung little corners of boroughs we were going to. Right, and so at the same time, like in our minds, we were documenting graffiti like as fast as we Which can. Which was disappearing because it was just right before, kind of like right at the cusp of that Giuliani war on graffiti. Right, Giuliani was the mayor at the time. I don't know, I don't remember how long you said you lived in New York City, but mm -hmm. Giuliani was very tough stance against graffiti. I mean, very, very anti-graffiti. Very anti-graffiti. Right. Like and he, then real estate prices were were increasing also. At, at the same time. At the time. same time. So we're right. seeing the graffiti disappear and these little mom and pop stores disappear. Right. So in, like in our mind, we're like, wait a minute, what happened to that little candy store? We went in and we got, um, you know, got a pack of gum and soda. And we, yeah, the lady we, was really funny. Yeah, we spoke with the owner. She was like, she was so funny. She made us laugh and it had such great hand painted sign. And then we'd go back to the same neighborhood and then the store would be gone and we'd right. be like, wait the a minute. The wall would be buffed. <laughs> right. The graffiti wall would be buffed. The store's <laughs> And for anyone that doesn't live in New York too, like I just to um, just to to make them realize, you know, the turnover is so wild because even within the past, you know, from year to year, you'll see completely new stores. And part of it is the war on re on on real retail. The other is just this kind of churn, I call it, where literally, you know, day by day, people are trying to make up new businesses to basically capitalize on what's there. And New York is really good about supporting local businesses, but if you're not good enough, or you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, you just get swept up, and and, the, and I love the correlation between graffiti work. I didn't realize it, but now it makes complete sense. You're documenting something that isn't there for very long. You don't know how long it's going to be there for, and I think the transition between the uniqueness between the colorful streets of New York and the demand for a newer economy, plus the standing still of everyone just trying to capture something for just that moment's time, makes perfect sense. The literalness between photography, the beautiful part about photography is you get that one minute, that one second, I mean, you know, and you can just, in one word, you know, one second, it, you've got it and you freeze time. I think that's the beauty of what you guys do is you kind of, you're able to kind of lock in that moment. Like things like Roger's Tire Shop in Flatbush or oh, House of Oldies in Greenwich Village. I mean, these are, these are, these are quintessential spots or one of my favorites, Ray's Candy Store in the East Village. I mean, I was I did, yeah. I was artists um, from the Lower East Side had, had painted yeah, that. that. It's it's um it's been repainted now. Actually, um, a new artist uh, painted it, and it's a uh, green instead of the like teal blue color right. that we have in our storefront too. But but yeah, that's a great 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 spot. Yeah, and, and also you guys cover a lot of immigrant communities and economic inequality. I mean, these things you you show it all. You don't hide the awnings that are falling apart. You don't hide the neon that's broken. I really appreciate that. I just want to shout that out. Oh, no, we love that. I mean, we love, like, I remember a barbershop, Richard's barbershop that we photographed that had this, like, the P in the, in the shop, you know, the word barbershop, like, it was hanging just by a thread. Yeah, like, dangling. it was, it was yeah. dangling, ready to, ready to fall. I love that more than anything. Ready for a lawsuit. <laughs> Store owner the scissors outside. Right. And spray painted the scissors like so they were like stencils on right, the Right, like of an building. outline of the of like and we the, thought that was so awesome. And a comb. Yeah, they yeah, like used they would a take comb. their little they would take their barber tools outside and they right. spray painted them against the wall. So it's like all these little tool stencils. Yeah, it was really cool. That of course is gone. And I also mean, it's like this idea of remembrance, like I'm I'm haunted by what I can't get to, but I also love like being able to go back and look at a picture. Doesn't it just take you back to that time period? I think that's what's so important about documentaries and documenting neon is that okay we know it's not going to be around but how can we become a little bit closer to it it's just having the ability to go back and look at it you know is what it was definitely definitely yeah. so we were just we just 
at the same time we were documenting graffiti, we started documenting the, what we call like these mom and pop stores. And we just kept, it was sharing with anybody. We weren't doing anything. And we were just collecting, collecting, collecting. I mean, literally had shoe boxes filled with photos upon photos. And then right. the interviews we started because we were already like comfortable interviewing people because we had interviewed all, all these graffiti artists we decided, hey, let's interview the store owners. Like, let's find out why on earth is this store closing and this one open yeah, for a hundred years? Yeah, what's the secret sauce to longevity? Right, like what, what, is, <laughs> what is able to survive for as long as they did? We would spend like four or five hours. Oh, just... easily. I mean, we <laughs> They're so interesting. Yeah. What are, people... what are the, circ I mean, also too is, what are the circumstances? Like you guys just kind of quickly paid tribute to Neon, but was it just such an easy transition for you to go? Because listen, you're running with a group of young kids who are under certain circumstances who are doing this because they truly love it. And I think that best sums up your work is the cheerfulness between not only just what you're doing between going to digi places, going to local institutions, photographing colorful places that time has forgotten, but really kind of putting your own spin on it and giving these people really a, a platform to tell their story. Like, unless it, it might go, you know, just if it disappears, it's actually kind of what I would love for this podcast to be remembered as is really a platform for remembrance because you never know when, what's going to happen next. Exactly. I mean, yeah. I can, I can tell you if you want to talk about a great story behind the, like the neon sign is you mentioned that one of your favorite stores and it's uh, literally three blocks from where we live in the East village is Veneros and they have a, amazing amazing overhanging neon sign and as you know um, but maybe a lot of people listening in the large neon sign like that is what's called grandfathered in new york you're not allowed to have a huge giant neon sign like that because it hangs out way too far from the face of the building i think it's i, I forget exactly i'd have to make sure that i'm saying this correctly but i think it's 18 inches is the law like you can't have it hanging mm -hmm. out more than is, but maybe you would know um, just from doing um, some neon around New York, but that's the rule. So you couldn't possibly have such a huge sign like that. And when we interviewed the owner, Robert Zerilli, he's fourth generation owner of that past Syria, which has been in business since 1894, uh, he told us that, first of all, we know because we live right by it. Every time it rains, a light or two will go out, and that's like a double neon love it because it's like it has the red and the veneero and the, the pasta syria of the green but yeah. like the e or the r and pasta syria will go out or a letter or two and the big veneros will go out so he's always guy come and, and fix it for him like all yeah, the time it's, it ends up also being a labor of love right he told us that the guy's like after a few years of, of working on it he's like come on let me just make you an led one nice plastic um <laughs> Exactly like it. It will, it will be perfect because you're wasting so much money. You're wasting right. tens of thousands of dollars every year. I, I hate to see you do that. And Robert's like, no, 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 no. I want my rusty old sign because it is rusted. Right. Like if you look underneath, there's, there is some rust issues. He's yeah. like, there's no, like, no way that's my the changing landscape. I mean, I've never heard a business owner advocate for their own neon. This is someone who understands brand versus legacy. The institution doesn't necessarily need to shut or doesn't need to change. They're particularly not vulnerable because they built a hundred years of classic Italian pastries. What's right. really interesting is the competition that's forcing other businesses to change, particularly big brands or larger competitors. The rising rent and the likeness of not being around for much longer. He understands this type of 
change. It's hyper gentrification, which is kind of slowly killing off the neighborhood. But I argue that what can be done is just sticking the staying the course. How many times have you heard the story? Well, if I almost didn't do this, I might not have made it. If I just changed the formula of the cookie, nobody might have ever discovered the fact that it tastes, you know, like this. I mean, there's something about that, the iconic staying the course. And also just, you know, these are people that are, are you know, just coming off the boat 100 years ago. Like, who are, who's he to say that the next step should have a better idea than this? You know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And so... I guess the response I'm hearing and and what I want to jump in and really kind of put a stamp of approval on is that how often do you hear other makers of signs actually trying to transition the business owner into something else other than what's generating money? And not only that, just sustainability of trying to compete with these other businesses that have these large plastic awnings, which are pretty ugly in New York. Let's, let's admit it. I mean, everyone teach their own, but the unique character of that business is really predicated on that sign. How many people see that sign from down the street? You know, it's hundreds. Right. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I mean, he course. said that the sign was his advertisement. This was before like email, before email, before email internet, before, like, phone book. Yeah. Your I ads mean, was your right, that, that yeah. your sign was, was everything. And you could see that sign lit up from first Avenue yeah, or second Avenue. Yeah. Like he totally, totally gets it. And right. Oh, we applauded him for that. We were just so happy. I mean, and there's a bunch of other, um, luckily for us in New York, a, a bunch of other business owners that, that do understand the value of, of keeping their neon, their vintage neon sign in, in place. Like Russ and Daughters is another one that they've, uh, they actually took down their neon sign. It was down for a while because they had it refurbished. And the owner told us that people were like, oh my God, oh my God, are you closing the store? Like they were all, when the, when the sign came down, but they were nice. really nearly trying to get it to last for another, you know, 50 years or, or more. Yeah, I mean, this, this is an iconic sign that actually splices together two different fish, actually different colors within the fish. Very important, yeah. you know, it's, and this is like incredible bagels, locks, uh, like you wouldn't believe. Uh, I mean, these are really institutions in New York. And not only they, made, they built out a neon, but they're built out of, you know, really care and consideration for the final product. I mean, when you go in those places, you know, you're at, you know, you're at someplace special. You just know it. Definitely. Yeah. We couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. Photography award-winning authors. Let's talk about the book a little bit. Um, You're raising public awareness. You've got a book that came out previously. Are you guys working on a new one? Like where are you at with the, with the book situation? Well, I mean, you know, the first book on storefront, uh, back, that came out in uh, 2008. I mean, I, uh, I really was January 2009, but the pub date is 2008. Uh, you know, that was like 10 years worth of photos of these mom and pop stores. But we are, always knew at that time, like, that we would have at least an, um, one or two more books yeah. because we couldn't possibly fit, like, everything that and all the interviews with the store owners and we actually felt badly like when we had to cut people sort of out of the the book but it was it would have been like 10,000 pages or god knows what (laughs) we all knew that we were going to make a storefront too but the reason we did the whole neon book um new york nights was we really felt like wow we're not doing these guys justice by photographing these neon signs during the day we really have to shift years and and photograph all these businesses that you know rely on their neon sign like at night to draw in business so that's why we you know we went with that project and that was a true labor of love because i can tell you we went out as late as we possibly could because we didn't 
people in our way. And it's a big, you know, issue yeah. in, in New York because we had to use a tripod. All the storefront day photos are just handheld. You know, we don't use a tripod. It's not a big setup. It's 35 millimeter um, right. quick. But you know, at night we needed that tripod. And, we needed a longer exposure, so we knew we had to. We knew how to bring a tripod. And when you bring a tripod, I mean, we'll they flock we'll, to it. Oh, it's like <laughs> you mean like people stopping and be like, "What's up? What's going on?" Exactly. Like, it's funny how New Yorkers like you know many neighborhoods they kind of have this idea of what's going on in their heads and they see somehow that what you're doing is a little bit different they start to congregate is that what happened yeah yeah so we would just go right. we would like okay when is this business open until well like okay open until three let's go at 2 30 right. how many as it happens it was in the day right uh, that's hilarious. I think, you know, and anybody that hasn't been in New York, I mean, you have to understand this place is the city that never sleeps, neither do anybody around it. So you never know who's going to come out at different times of day. Like when you're reminded, you know, you're reminded that, you know, people are really substituting what you're doing for what they're up to. And so. <laughs> yeah. So then, then we're like, okay, there's still too many people. We'll wait till the dead of winter. We'll, we'll pick the coldest yeah, night. All the, all the outside. Yeah, but it's crazy how how much a city how busy it gets even at different times of day you're like oh my god i never knew there was like it's one o'clock in the morning like how is there five people sitting on the corner at this moment like it seems absurd exactly exactly right. so, so that's why we put carnegie deli on the cover of the book new york nights because the night we went out it was like it, it, i always say it's like a, you know that show on a deadliest catch about the crab fisherman right right yeah that's Got dressed up in our Carhartt overalls. And right, like layer upon layer. It was like 10 degrees and oh, we <laughs> Yeah, and we're like, okay, we'll go. We, you know, we knew we had to go on a theater night because like that's when they would stay open later. And we're like, okay, we'll just go really late. Like no one, all the yeah, theaters- there was will... wind coming down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's wild how you remember that too. And also, I mean like, yeah, I mean you could, no one's going in for the pastrami, right? Like- I lead in again. Yeah, the whole, look, so, I mean, you guys capture such an amazing, and for anyone that doesn't know your guys' work, or just listen to this now, they'll obviously go back and I'm hoping it's inspiring people to go look at your website. Um, you know, you're capturing storefronts with no people around. Was there ever a decision to, what was the decision behind that? Was it just like, you know, confusion between what you wanted to see in front of it? Was it like, what was the creative decision behind that? Well, from the beginning, it was definitely a creative decision that we didn't want to include people for the most part. There are a, a, a few photos that have people and the, the people either are the store owner or um, a manager or somebody related to the store, meaning like a, a longtime customer or something, somebody that just sort of belonged. We didn't, it was a purposeful decision to not include people because we didn't want to date the photo. As we said, right. wow, this storefront looks exactly the same that it did in 1962. Mm -hmm. you know, if we had people dressed in a certain period of clothing, you would know, right, you would know that that photo was taken, oh, look, 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 look at the sneakers they're wearing. Those came out in, you know, right. such and such date, like if, you know, somebody that's a sneaker head, and they right. would know. So if you eliminated the person, then you would eliminate. It was more of a timeless. Yeah. Right, it was a more mm -hmm. of a time. But there are a few photos, not that many, that we did include the person because we just had to. Like, I mean, one of them, I remember Joe's Dairy, this great um, old place that would make, you know, their own uh, mozzarella, homemade mozzarella and goats. Um, it was the, you know, like the 
father of the, of the owner was sitting there and he was just leaning against the, the boxes of curd that had just come in and he mm -hmm. was just tossing them in. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take the photo now. And he's like, well, I'm not getting up. Yeah, he's like, what do you want from And I'm like, okay, perfect. I mean, you are. <laughs> And that's so, the look on his face is perfect. Right. It's got so that. So now we New, had to leave him. Right. New York, like like James said, what do you want from me, look? Yeah. And, yeah. So what? So <laughs> what? Yeah. There's, there's, and, you know, the, the more you try to control that energy, the less you can get a hold of it. You know, it's one of those situations where, you know, if you know it's out of your control, just go with it, right? Yep. Exactly. exactly. And, and also, too, I think what you said is very important, which is like, the the storefronts are really the stars they're the superstars and i love that about those photos all your photos are really time capsules in a way you're comfortable to understand that there's a, a certain amount of lifeline that's built into these uh institutions that can obviously you know really kind of show off the neighborhood a little bit but uh you know just the connectivity between the storefront it's about the materials it's about the 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 conditions condition it's in it's about the economic instability it represents it's about the so it's really that place you know and i i really appreciate that all that time and energy that you put in to avoiding the the personality side of it within people because i feel like that chops into it a little bit you know it creates a little bit more confusion so um yeah i think the consumer difference i, I think people are indifferent about it but i do think it helps kind of helps the storefronts come together uh, a little bit more because it's just a matter of truth. Like this is what it is. This is what it looked like. This is when we shot it. You know. Exactly. That's our that's our dog Hudson. By the way, he's, he's <laughs> hey Hudson. <laughs> he sees things. I don't even know how he sees things out through the window, but I think he he just sees. We're on, We're on the tenth floor, but he looks out and he. He observes. Yeah, he observes. A true, a true New Yorker, somebody who observes. I like that. <laughs> exactly. So, he's what are what are what are the plans? I know you spent so many years documenting. Are there things that you guys want to do at this point? I mean, you've gotten written written up in New York Times. You've got you know multiple books. I mean, how is it? How do you guys stay energized during this time period? You know, especially with COVID going on. Well, what we've been doing lately is we've been trying to document the stores that are still like what they deem as uh, ones that are able to still yeah. be, be operating they're, at this time. They're struggling and fighting to somehow hang on. Like, right. Like it was funny, Robert Zerilli, the owner of Venero, he's like, I I'm going down with the ship at this point. He, he he's got to ride the boat to the, to the bitter end. He was allowed to stay open because he's a food business. But what happened but was, yeah, I mean, I mean, all his bakers, because he, he made this decision, like it was really his, like his relatives long, long ago when, when they first opened in the late 1800s, they always kept, the owner did not do the baking. They always hired master bakers. At that time it was master bakers from Italy. So he doesn't really know how to make like cannolis and cheesecake and spagliatelle right, himself. So he's dependent on, he's dependent on the bakers and the bakers don't live in the neighborhood. So they have to commute in and they were taking the train. They just didn't feel safe anymore. So they just, mm. they come in. So he had so to I close. Mean, he's reopened since um, just like last right. or right before mother's day, he, right. he reopened, but with a limited like, menu you know right. like he's not making like every single tiny little pastry right, but other places are down like 70 percent so yeah we're, we're talking to, to the owners we're now trying to document this. what are i think that's one of the things i just want to pinpoint is that you know you have an incredible youtube channel where you guys actually go in and interview these people 
Um, I just want to really highlight that work because you're almost advocating for small businesses to succeed. And during this time period, I mean, people are battling some financial situations that the world has never seen before. Multiple co complications, like you just mentioned, with these master bakeries and stuff like that. Um, how have you, you know, have you been able to depict, I guess, this sense of of uh, willingness? Because New York is really resilient, but we're you know, I think anybody listening to this right now is going through a tough time, especially if you're a business owner, really has to be, you know, feeling this at this point. Sure. I mean, I think New York, it's a very tough situation compared to maybe some other parts of the country. Um, um, there are cities that, that rents are equally expensive, but we're definitely among the top probably like three or four as far as commercial rents. I mean, the rents are insane. I mean, a tiny little storefront in, in the East Village, I can tell you because we're, we're friendly with the owners, can cost $30,000 a month. And this is for like 700 square foot, like right. tiny little thing, not mm -hmm. even with like nothing. A little, little shoe box um, space can be that much if it's in a prime spot, you know, like a corner spot, a busy spot. It all depends on where you are, but it's expensive. I mean, there's nothing cheaper than probably like 12,000 or 14,000. Right. I mean, there's nothing, nothing cheaper than that. It's the, the price that you have to pay for like the rent. It's so expensive that, I mean, even if you get like a loan or the, you know, like the government has the loans and stuff, it right. doesn't, it's not going to, it's, it doesn't really help you. Yeah. And they're saying, you know, they've been, these older businesses, they've been through World War II. Right. They've been through 9-11. Right. And they've never seen anything at all like this. The Great they, Depression. I mean, right. you know. Yeah, the they, Great Depression. Exactly. Yeah, I think if anybody has seen this, you know, the character of these businesses is definitely going to change forever. New York City is in a, a very sensitive place. I think that's why we're touching on this right now. Anybody that's listening who's in New York really understands this. But anybody outside of that as well, I think, you know, the character of this conversation is really kind of to bring awareness to New York. And at a place in the point where, you know, things are really tough, um, I think that the, you know, the reflection on the element of the city has changed. Um, the tolerance of what we're able to do, especially people coming together. You probably have seen some very, uh, you know, uh, unlimited creativity, you know, businesses that have been able to adapt. So roadside service, calling up, you know, bringing things out to people's cars, you know, these sorts of things, the ability to stand on top of what they normally have been able to do, which is provide excellent service. You know, people that have been around for a hundred plus years in business don't get there by good luck. You know, <laughs> these are businesses that have established themselves for multiple generations. And so I think the larger change are going to be okay. I think what's difficult and especially hopeful, you know, if there's something online that you can order or from these local businesses, you should definitely take advantage of it because um, the streets are definitely under threat from, you know, basically, you know, being starved to death. And I think the spirit and diversity of New York will never stop. Um, however, I think, you know, what we're touching on is a very sensitive subject of, you know, how can we keep New York, New York? Uh, you know, that's a very difficult thing to think about right now with everyone, you know, under the certain constrictions that they're under. Um, but I think, you know, it's definitely something to talk about, you know, do we see the light in the tunnel? I think so. Um, I think some businesses will really rebound quite nicely from this. Um, but, uh, but the fact that you're even getting out there and being able to show what's happening is probably the first and foremost is being able to, you know, document this and, and show people what's happening. And I think your videos do a great job. Have you been able to, I guess, um, go out now a little bit now? I'm sure of course you've got you know, taking precautions. Last time we took the subway was, um, was St. Patrick. Went out to um, a, a old, you know, family-owned chocolate shop that did have a neon sign. The neon is gone now. So it's just like you can see the outline, you know. The tubes are the, gone. The, the tubes 
gone right. So it doesn't light up anymore. That was Schmidt's candy um, in Queens. And they made, um, you know, homemade chocolate by hand and using like all these old molds from the 1920s. And we had made that appointment like prior to, you know, the whole lockdown yeah, and everything. And, you know, we called her and we're like, Margie, are you open? And she's like, yeah, damn, I'm open. She's like, my father, if, if my father was alive, he'd be like, Margie, what the hell? Get into the store. Go, go, go. Yeah. You know, because he was a German immigrant and like there was just no stopping, um, you know, the family. So she's like, I'm keeping going. Easter is one of her busiest times of the year as far yeah. as selling chocolates. So she, she had to go into the store. I mean, of course, she took a hit this year. There wasn't any, you know, as many people on, on the street. And yeah. that's what she relies on. She doesn't really do, like, um, that much of ordering and delivering. She did this year, but um, that wasn't ever her business model. But, yeah, sure, the, the, the businesses that are still open are definitely having to adopt their business model. Yeah. I mean, we just interviewed a very interesting little little store, a little restaurant called Smack, uh, Sarita's Mac and Cheese. All they do is sell mac and cheese. And... I mean, there's a lot of specialty places like that in New York, like, you know, very odd things that are very niche. But she or had done, like, I guess she said she, around 30% of her business prior to the COVID was delivery. So she was already set up for delivery, thank God. So it was an easier transition for her. But um, she still took, you know, like 70% business yeah, down, no. like 70%. And, right. you know, that's a big it's, hit. This is the one on First Avenue, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I've actually ordered from there. So believe it or not, this is like 2005. So that's kind of when I found Smack. So just hearing her continuing her journey, uh, this is just like a premium macaroni and cheese. Um, just imagine it being every dish you ever want to in macaroni. I mean, the, the fact that it's, I mean, it's comfort food. And um, oh, yeah. it's really, you know, this is what's really most important is to really touch on is that, you know, most businesses, they, they can rely on, you know, different things like, you know, going out there marketing more. But, you know, it's one thing to have to endure some, some setbacks. Community involvement in New York is just unprecedented. I mean, the uh, the nonprofits, the schools, the community centers, the neighborhood, and also let's really say, you know, also the uh, healthcare professionals. These are the people that are putting their lives on the line, and um, you know, restaurants are important, and so they're able to feed these people and they're able to give back. And so I think anytime you have, um, you know, I think these 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 stories, if you will, I think uh, you know, just paying it forward. You know, New York City's healthcare workers are just uh, you know really that really deserve the praise and, and, and people, food services too, and grocery stores. And so I can't say enough, you know, what you guys do, you're really kind of opening up these, uh, access to some of these individuals who are, are working hard for, to keep the, you know, the lines of communication open and, um, caregivers, you know, feeding them and whatnot. I think the impact is just unprecedented. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just love your video work. You know, you guys have been shooting a lot of video lately too. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, where can people go, uh, even at this time, you know, if they want to get the book, they want to go check your guys' work out, where can they find you guys right now? Well, Instagram, we definitely post uh, at least once a day. That's at James, J-A-M-E-S-A-N-D for Anne's Carla, K-A-R-L-A, at James and Carla. And that's our YouTube channel too, at James and Carla. And that's, that's where we're most active. I mean, what usually we post to Instagram, we'll also um, do some Facebook posts and, and Twitter, but Instagram and, and YouTube is where we're most active and especially um, YouTube lately, just because we're taking this opportunity of not really working in our, you know, making money in our profession um, as architectural photographers to go out and try to 
capture and document as much and as support yeah. and really in support and give back um, to the very places to us the our each neighborhood in new york city is defined by its little stores i mean to us you know for sure like we can easily identify yeah. a neighborhood just by looking at the stores um you know that we see right. and you know we really feel it's so important for them to be able to keep ongoing so we really yeah. want to help you know champion them let people know that which ones are still in business which ones that people can still support because yeah. a lot of people don't even realize because they, they may not be able to leave their house we're we're lucky enough that we've been healthy and we have a dog so we have to go out and walk him so it gives us the opportunity to be able to document the places that are you know still open and um you know providing for everyone mm -hmm. james and carla i really appreciate your guys work uh, anyone that's listening to this go check out their uh their book uh new york nights uh lots of really incredible neon if you're into neon at all please see that uh, amazing images, uh, really doing a collectively an amazing part of New York, really not overlooking any community, not leaving any stone unturned, really uh, just uh, really a power duo. I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Oh, okay. appreciate you having great. us. It was great. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>